Book Five, The Fatal Lecture, Chapter Two, The Fallen Leaves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Fallen Leaves by Wilkie Collins. Book Five, The Fatal Lecture, Chapter Two. Mrs. Farnaby stood at the door of her own room and looked at her niece with an air of contemptuous curiosity. "'Well, you and your lover have had a fine time of it together, I suppose. What do you want here?' "'Amelius wishes particularly to speak to you, aunt.' "'Tell him to save himself the trouble. He may reconcile your uncle to his marriage. He won't reconcile me.' "'It's not about that, aunt. It's about Phoebe.' "'Does he want me to take Phoebe back again?' At that moment Emilius appeared in the hall and answered the question himself. "'I want to give you a word of warning,' he said. Mrs. Farnaby smiled grimly. "'That excites my curiosity,' she replied. "'Come in. I don't want you,' she added, dismissing her niece at the door. "'So you're willing to wait ten years for Regina?' she continued." when Emilius was alone with her. "'I'm disappointed in you. You're a poor weak creature, after all. What about that young hussy Phoebe?' Emilius told her unreservedly all that had passed between the discarded maid and himself, not forgetting before he concluded to caution her on the subject of the maid's companion. "'I don't know what that man may not do to mislead Phoebe,' he said. "'If I were you, I wouldn't drive her into a corner.' Mrs. Farnaby eyed him scornfully from head to foot. "'You used to have the spirit of a man in you,' she answered. "'Keeping company with Regina has made you a milksop already. "'If you want to know what I think of Phoebe and her sweetheart—' She stopped and snapped her fingers. "'There,' she said, "'that's what I think. "'Now go back to Regina. "'I can tell you one thing. "'She will never be your wife.' Amelius looked at her in quiet surprise. "'It seems odd,' he remarked, "'that you should treat me as you do, "'after what you said to me the last time I was in this room. "'You expect me to help you in the dearest wish of your life, "'and you do everything you can to thwart the dearest wish of my life. "'A man can't keep his temper under continual provocation. "'Suppose I refuse to help you?' "'Mrs. Farnaby looked at him with the most exasperating composure. "'I defy you to do it.' she answered. "'You defy me to do it!' Amelius exclaimed. "'Do you take me for a fool?' Mrs. Farnaby went on. "'Do you think I don't know you better than you know yourself?' She stepped up close to him. Her voice sank suddenly to low and tender tones. "'If that last unlikely chance should turn out in my favour, she went on, "'if you really did meet with my poor girl one of these days and knew that you had met with her,' Do you mean to say you could be cruel enough, no matter how badly I behave to you, to tell me nothing about it? Is that the heart I can feel beating under my hand? Is that the Christianity you learned at Tadmore? Pooh, pooh, you foolish boy! Go back to Regina and tell her you have tried to frighten me, and you find it won't do. The next day was Saturday. The advertisement of the lecture appeared in the newspapers. 
rufus confessed that he had been extravagant enough in the case of the two weekly journals to occupy half a page the public he explained have got a nasty way of overlooking advertisements of a modest and retiring character hit em in the eyes when they open the paper or you don't hit em at all among the members of the public attracted by the new announcement mrs farnaby was one she honoured emilius with a visit at his lodgings i called you a poor weak creature yesterday these were her first words on entering the room i talked like a fool you're a splendid fellow i respect your courage and i shall attend your lecture never mind what mr farnaby and regina say regina's poor little conventional soul is shaken i dare say you needn't expect to have my niece among your audience but farnaby is a humbug as usual he affects to be horrified he talks big about breaking off the match in his own self he's bursting with curiosity to know how you will get through with it i tell you this he will sneak into the hall and stand at the back where nobody can see him i shall go with him and when you're on the platform i'll hold up my handkerchief like this then you'll know he's there hit him hard emilius hit him hard where is your friend rufus just gone away i like that american give him my love and tell him to come and see me she left the room as abruptly as she had entered it emilius looked after her in amazement mrs farnaby was not like herself mrs farnaby was in good spirits regina's opinion of the lecture arrived by post every other word in her letter was underlined half the sentences began with oh regina was shocked astonished ashamed alarmed what would emilius do next why had he deceived her and left her to find it out in the papers he had undone all the good effect of those charming letters to her father and herself he had no idea of the disgust and abhorrence which respectable people would feel at his odious socialism was she never to know another happy moment and was emilius to be the cause of it and so on and so on mr farnaby's protest followed delivered by mr farnaby himself he kept his gloves on when he called he was solemn and pathetic he remonstrated in the character of one of the ancestors of emilius he pitied the ancient family mouldering in the silent grave he would abstain from deciding in a hurry but his daughter's feelings were outraged and he feared it might be his duty to break off the match Amelius, with perfect good temper, offered him a free admission, and asked him to hear the lecture and decide for himself whether there was any harm in it. Mr. Farnaby turned his head away from the ticket as if it was something indecent. Sad, sad. That was his only farewell to the gentleman socialist. On this Sunday, being the only day in London on which a man can use his brains without being interrupted by street music, Amelius rehearsed his lecture. On the Monday, he paid his weekly visit to Regina. She was reported, whether truly or not, it was impossible for him to discover, to have gone out in the carriage with Mrs. Ormond. Amelius wrote to her in soothing and affectionate terms, suggesting, as he had suggested to her father, that she should wait to hear the lecture before she condemned it. 
In the meantime, he entreated her to remember that they had promised to be true to one another in time and eternity, socialism notwithstanding. The answer came back by private messenger. The tone was serious. Regina's principles forbade her to attend a socialist lecture. She hoped Emilius was in earnest in writing as he did about time and eternity. The subject was very awful to a rightly constituted mind. On the next page, some mitigation of this severity followed in a postscript. Regina would wait at home to see Emilius the day after his regrettable appearance in public. The evening of Tuesday was the evening of the lecture. Rufus posted himself at the ticket-taker's office in the interests of Emilius. Even sixpences do sometimes stick to a man's fingers on their way from the public to the money-box, he remarked. The sixpences did indeed flow in rapidly. The advertisements had so far produced their effect. But the reserved seats sold very slowly. The members of the institution, who were admitted for nothing, arrived in large numbers and secured the best places. Towards eight o'clock, the hour at which the lecture was to begin, the sixpenny audience was still pouring in. Rufus recognized Phoebe among the late arrivals, escorted by a person in the dress of a gentleman, who was palpably a blackguard nevertheless. A short stout lady followed, who warily shook hands with Rufus and said, "'Let me introduce you to Mr. Farnaby.' Mr. Farnaby's mouth and chin were shrouded in a wrapper. His hat was over his eyebrows. Rufus observed that he looked as if he was ashamed of himself." A gaunt, dirty, savage old woman, miserably dressed, offered her sixpence to the money-taker, while the two gentlemen were shaking hands, the example, it is needless to say, being set by Rufus. The old woman looked attentively at all that was visible of Mr. Farnaby, that is to say, at his eyes and his whiskers, by the gas-lamp hanging in the corridor. She instantly drew back, though she had got her ticket, waited until Mr. Farnaby had paid for his wife and himself, and then followed close behind them into the hall. And why not? The advertisements address this wretched old creature as one of the poor and discontented public. Sixteen years ago, John Farnaby had put his own child into that woman's hands at Ramsgate, and had never seen either of them since. End of Book 5 Chapter 2